CTO Think. I'm Randy Burgess. And I'm Don Vandemark. Randy, what's been going on in your world this week? Uh, normal work. Um, for the most part, nothing like nothing extravagant. <laughs> uh, mainly for my the two clients I'm working for, getting their new projects kind of lifted off. Um, one is adding a new nationwide shipping. I talked about that before. And then a different client is reestablishing their ability to push um, their product to a kind of a third party distributor and, you know, hoping to gain revenues with that. So that's a lot of communications with people more than code at this point, and which is you know, kind of part of the gig. So doing that. And then I've gotten back to working on the HOA done application, which is a small tool for small condo associations, homeowners associations. And so that's kind of been the side project I've been working on. What about you? Uh, Same as you, same old, same old. Um, We're working through uh, everything we've been talking about the past few weeks. Um, Right now for Aspire EDU, we're in the middle of discussions with another developer um, looking to bring someone on who's um, working his way into the, the development field. Um, been doing a lot of side projects, been doing a lot of small stuff, um, but his his skill set that he's learning is right in with what we uh, need. So i um, been talking to him, and, and that may be something we, we go forward with here in the future. Cool. So... This week I wanted to uh, we're going we're going to do book club this week. <laughs> so I did a uh, I read a I read most of I'm not going to say I read all of it and we'll, we'll talk about that in a minute. Read read most of a book called Anti Fragile by Nassim Nicholas Taleb, who is the same author who wrote Black Swan. Okay, all right. So um, the term anti fragile is is meant to mean a system, a person, anything that gets better, that thrives under chaos. Okay. So it's different than resilient, which can stand up to chaos and, and absorb it. Anti-fragile is the opposite of fragile in that it, it thrives under chaos. And the the problem I had with the book was essentially that he, he, he made the same point 10 different ways in the first half of the book and there it, it didn't seem to be progressing. So I didn't finish the book, yeah. but um, the, the point came across just uh, very clear and a very interesting, very interesting concept. So while I was reading it, I'm sitting there going, he's talking about you, you can equate this to the software systems we build, not And it sounds weird to say that software systems get better under chaos, but in a well-tuned organization where you're writing a lot of test cases and when you're adapting your system based on what's being thrown on it, software systems do get better under chaos. Um, So I wanted to talk a little bit about, about that today. How, how do you improve your software systems when, when things come at it and how much do you invest in testing? Yeah. 
Um, and, and that's, that's the general direction I wanted to go with this today. So, so talk a little bit about, about how you approach those things. Well, I'm curious about the book. Does he bring up Netflix at all? Not in the part I read. Okay. No. The reason I ask is Netflix introduced is they're kind of the, at the forefront, at least publicly with, um, chaos testing chaos management because sure they introduced a library called chaos monkey which actually takes down production and um, pieces of the production environment randomly and it forced them i guess it was one of those ideas of we expect for pieces of our production to go down um randomly and therefore we will build a system where it just happens naturally um, and we will cause it. We will be part of the cause of that randomness and in theory. So I have not used this library, but it's come up a number of times on some other podcasts I've listened to and talking and just other um, things I've read that the idea is expect things to fail. And, and, you know, kind of what the book is talking about, I assume is building a system that can handle that and at the same time build the most resilient system. And I think Amazon built their EC2 platform on the same idea because at the time before we got AWS and the cloud going full steam, the approach of all enterprise was to build huge racks of very expensive servers and build their entire platform on that with the idea that these expensive servers wouldn't go down. And Amazon came in and Google as well and said that, you know, cheap servers that are expected to eventually fail is the more cost productive way to build a cloud or a large server, you know, backend. So their approach like they just started building out tons of cheap server boxes and they built a redundancy level system that would take over when one dropped or one failed and the life expectancy of these servers wasn't very long and they found it to be much more cost effective so without without having read the book that's what the first thing that comes to my mind are those two scenarios of amazon and netflix and how they've approached chaos and, and I, and, and it, it's, it, it's like, it's like he did study them and, and I didn't come across the <clears> mentions <throat> of them or they read, well, they couldn't have read the book. The book's not that old, but it, one, one of the core tenants is for a system to be anti-fragile. Most of its parts have to be fragile. Yeah. So, so pieces have to be able to break. And you have to be able to work around that and, and, and be able to deal with that in order for the whole system to survive. Yep. So, um, that, that, those were two awesome examples. Um, how, how do you, how do you put together, put this idea together in testing? You can use chaos monkey, but how have you done it in the past? Just with, plain testing and and how much time do you dedicate to test cases and making sure you've got test coverage and is a hundred percent test coverage what you aim for or 
what are what are you aiming for when you're building systems? Well, I'm going to admit that I don't spend a ton of time on failure management. Um, I feel like I outsource that to Heroku, who handles it on the AWS side for me. But what I have done, and this is what I did in the past. Um, one example was I had a client, or I was working for a company that had a client, and they basically said, we are going to put up this very small, simple app that will run for the weekend, but if it goes down, the entire thing will fall apart. You have to keep this thing up. <clears throat> and so I approached it with the idea that I was using I was using Heroku um, for the hosting of this particular app, and my tech, my approach was I am going to build a second use a backup. Um, platform that I expect Heroku will fail. I had no reason to you know expect it, but I just said it's going to fail, and I'm going to randomly switch the 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 domain name to point to this other server and have that take over. And I had it do that like three or four times, just kind of like <clears throat> within the next hour, pick a time, transfer, and then I was watching both sides, the Heroku, and I think I used Engine Yard at the time. And right. so the you know, the, that weekend everything ran smooth. Everything ran on Heroku. Heroku didn't have any problems. And this is what maybe like three or four years ago, but um that was how I approached that one scenario. And if you were to say, okay, now take that one scenario and now you've got a long standing system you need to, to deal with. Um, there's a lot of big questions that come out of that because what I did for a weekend with Engine Yard and Heroku hosting was pretty cheap. But to build a resilient backend that completely is failover and sitting there ready is a completely different um, question on the cost factor. So right. that's, you know, <clears throat> I think as everything does, it starts at the very top. I think you go to your operations team or the executive level and say, in the scenario that our pro our platform goes down for you know a specific amount of time, what are our thresholds um, as a company for that downtime? And the first instinct of every non-technical person is it has to be up all the time. You can't have downtime, but the that's when it's upon you to say, okay, I am going, if we build this entire second platform to back up the first one, this are, these are the costs. <clears throat> and I've had this discussion with, um, you know, executives that I've worked with and they immediately changed the tone of, well, I don't want to spend double all the time for what may be an hour of downtime or even a day. That's not, that right. doesn't fit. So it changes the conversation to what is the backup plan? Do we have a website that just states we are down? Here's how you can reach us manually to get business done. Um, very cheap to do that kind of backup. Do you have a system that only has half the features or doesn't persist data but allows interaction? Um, there's a number of ways to mitigate downtime or things that are going wrong and still keep business going. And that's the discussion you have to have at the very top, I think, versus the whole idea of 
let's just have two systems running all the time. But it changes based on the business. Um, Emergency systems don't have that same kind of um, leeway. They have to be running all the time for a large part of what they do. But that's how I would say that that discussion with executives is how I first approach it. Before I touch any code, before we set up any systems, understanding what the business needs are at the level of failure on the main product or the main line. What, sure. what is the business's ability to keep operations going without a completely redundant system? So that's my, my long answer. Sure. So no, that's, that, that's great. So I, I, w- I want to step back to the beginning of that answer. And, and you said you don't do a lot of, of testing on your own. Um, you, you outsource a lot of that. And, and I want to, I, I want to make sure we're delineating sure. here. Um, the, the, the type of testing and, and the discussion we just had was around hosting, backend, yep. hardware, that sort of thing. The, the, the question's also relevant to the test cases side of the code itself. Sure. Okay. So, so how do you, what, what, what do you do? How much do you commit to testing on the code side? And that's where we start to write test cases before we, uh, before we even write the code with test driven development yep. or behavior driven development. Um, how much of that do you do with, with your projects, how much do you invest in testing in order to build what what's essentially an anti-fragile system? Well, uh, the first, let me just put it this way. I am a TDD guy. Um, part of that comes out of me now working in the Ruby and Rails community, which is really strong on that. But I actually have a complete contrast in my career. The, for the first seven years, when I did a lot more PHP.net, type of development, I didn't do any test-driven development. I didn't write any test, automated test in my code. If it came to like having a, an automated process walk through the code like a browser, a person on a browser would and test things, I didn't do any of that. And I wrote code that broke and took me forever to build and wasn't very maintainable. A change I would make in one part of the system would have a butterfly effect through the rest, and I had no idea of knowing unless I tested everything to go along with it. So that was, you know, that's the the contrast to what you're talking about now, which is a more automated software-based uh, approach to development. And so now what I do, and I, I pretty much feel, I don't believe in 100% coverage. I think it's almost impossible especially with the use of APIs, which are difficult to test that you don't handle. But the what, right. what I definitely do <clears throat> is strike for a, like an 80% coverage where I, if I am writing a method or I'm adding a feature, there is some automated process that makes sure that in a, most scenarios, this code keeps running. And then every time I push a change, we test. We run all the tests, right. like all of them, even if it doesn't pertain to that change necessarily. The idea is to catch any butterfly effects that you may cause. And then when every time we push to our server to staging, same thing, all the tests run. So I'm huge on that. Um, 
And it's still a debate. It's still a big debate in the software community that I'm a part of about the value of it and how hard it is. And almost every CTO technical manager that, um, that is in a discussion about it always, if they haven't come up in that world, the pain of starting learning how to do it is really steep. Well, it's interesting if you think about it. And I think, I think this is how, this is where age experience plays a factor. Yeah. You and I both Gen Xers, um, mid career, that sort of thing. So we did come up in, in the development world before there were, yeah. uh, before there was test driven development yep. before it was as widespread as it yeah. was. Um, your, your, your early years are, are very much like mine. Um, I don't write, I don't write software that has bugs in it. Therefore, why would I test for it ahead of time? Right. <laughs> yes. um, so it, it's we we have the luxury of living in that world and going wait i see so many benefits out of this test driven development um and and i i do understand the pitfalls of not doing it yep. um whereas uh developers that have that have come up and and have learned in this world and don't know another world uh it's ingrained in them to do test-driven development. So in one way, it's easier for them yeah. um, because they're, they're not fighting biases. They're not fighting um, all those bad habits, but they don't, they also necessarily don't understand. They, they don't have the uh, battle wounds, the scars. But what's um, been your philosophy that? with Aspire EDU and testing? Cause you're not the one doing the development. So what is your team's philosophy? We, we, we do the same thing. We, we, we have, um, we have automated tests that we go out there and run every time something, something, uh, gets committed. We've got a code coverage robot that sits there and, and checks how much our code is covered. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you're right at the, the hundred percent code coverage is, is unattainable likely. Um, yeah because of all the external factors uh, you you and, and it comes back does to what you're discussing you? earlier it's also it's also a cost benefit ratio right does it bother you that whole lack of co- like 100% coverage does it bother me i won't say it bothers me um, certainly when <laughs> certainly when you have something fail that was not covered yeah you start to Monday morning quarterback it a bit and go, well, should, should we have had it? That's an easy answer. Yes, probably. Okay. There there are the, should we have had it to where the answer is we might've been able to foresee that. And we might've been able to write a test for that. And then there are the ones that are like, I'm not sure how we would have envisioned putting that together. Um, in order for it to fail in just that way. Mm-hmm. So I think we, we learn from every time we have an issue pop up and, and it, it, it gives a different flavor to the test cases that are written in the future. Um, but certainly no, um, 
there's there's no drive to get to a hundred percent and and no I don't I don't know that I I lose sleep that we don't have a hundred percent coverage. So then going um, to back to the book because like you you read it so yeah. going away from test driven like in in a way test driven development is to prevent chaos from happening. Okay, which I think it does. I feel like um, I build the code that my teams have built um, since I've implemented TDD as a philosophy into. Their, the developments, product development has been huge. Um, I, I can't, I, heck, I have no measurable way to talk about it. I can just say the code quality that my teams have been able to build with it is immense. And problems on the back end, the chaos has been minimized a tremendous amount compared to what I worked on prior. So, but, sure. but I don't know what else did the book talk about that happens? Like you can't test for it. Things still happen out of your control. Um, what did the book talk about? And then what, what have you been able to um, gather that maybe you should do more of, or I don't know, maybe you're like, this is out of our reach kind of thing. I'm not sure. Well, yeah. And, and, and that the book doesn't talk about it because the book didn't really draw the parallel mm-hmm. um, between, between, um, between being anti-fragile and software systems didn't really hone in on that uh, a whole lot. Um, But it was that revelation in my head that yes, test-driven development aims to prevent chaos, but the way I see it is when we're building these systems and we're using test-driven development and we're building these test cases that come up, we are making our system more anti-fragile as it goes, because we start with a set of test cases. We believe we've got good coverage. Something happens. Mm -hmm. Okay. Chaos is a bug happens. We have an issue. Therefore that's chaos has entered the system. We'll say we then go fix the problem. So that's the resiliency part of it and, and just fix the problem. And then analyze how the problem arose. Yep. Write test cases to hit, to cover that area, plus maybe peripheral areas around that. And in that way, the software system thrived from the chaos. Yep. So as long as we didn't have a hard outage, okay, to where whatever the issue was can completely took our system down and we've got, clients that are that are unhappy because of all that as long as that didn't happen it was more of a hey we had this bug when we hit this little thing so it it popped a bad it popped a 404 page or whatever the the issue was as long as it's a minor impact that's certainly a good example of a software system was in one state chaos entered the system and upon completion that system is now stronger yep and that that's that's the that's the parallel I'm trying to draw here. Yeah. So you're you're absolutely right that test driven development reduces chaos, but that's kind of the point is is it it also helps you react to chaos and helps to make the system stronger in the end. Mm-hmm. So that's that's what I was trying to draw from it. Makes sense. So that's uh that's that I like I said book club for for this week <laughs> I, I wanted to introduce that book and and there uh, i'll pull a quote out of the book because 
I think this is a topic we'll come back to. We can spend maybe five minutes on it here and, and then sure. decide if it needs its own, its own episode later. A quote out of the book is, the three most harmful addictions are heroin, carbohydrates, and a monthly salary. <laughs> so what, what, what he's driving at there is, and, and I've experienced this in my career, okay? So yeah. that monthly salary allows you to get comfortable. It allows you to to not worry about improving yourself. Be, hey, what? Now, this isn't necessarily the attitude you and I take towards things, but yeah. it does allow someone to say, "Hey, I'm I, I'm feeding my family, have a decent lifestyle. I don't need to worry about doing anything else. I don't need to worry about improving." Um, but. When, when that, that monthly salary is under attack or, or you are a freelancer or a consultant and you're having to earn every penny, yeah. um, you as a person start to become a little more anti-fragile Yes, because you sit there and you go out and you learn more things. You investigate more avenues. Um, like I said, this is probably something we're going to want to take a, a, a totally separate uh, episode on. Yeah. But I, I, I was sharing with you just last week, there was a sale on, on books um, from a couple different publishers and I picked up five different ones yeah. and, and I shared that, that list with you. And, and it was, it was a varied list. It was not five books of all the same one topic. It was five books about five very different topics. Yeah. Because they were all things that interested me. They were all things that will make me better, make make it better for me to understand that different things that I have to touch on in, in my jobs. But they were they were all very different. So that that's just another way of of getting away from software systems being anti fragile, more to people being anti fragile. Well, the the, the term um, is complacency. Um, that's what the fear I think of, I mean, this isn't beyond technology, it's leadership and management, um, for a strong part, the fear of every manager or business owner is that their team gets complacent. Maybe it's the result of the salary and the structure or the, you know, the stability that comes of a part of that. But, you know, the idea that people will quit pushing the limits that a business needs to compete sure. And for a software team, it would be, hey, you're getting used to these error messages coming through the log system, and they're not a big deal. So you just kind of keep letting stuff go past until one day you just let a huge issue go through and because you just quit paying attention um, or caring about, hey, the the framework we're using is upgraded, but that's kind of a, it's a, you know, it's a steep task to upgrade to a new version every year. We'll just let this one ride. And I think people people will knock a manager. I don't I don't manage through chaos. That's just not I I aim for stability of people's anxieties and stuff. But there are managers that their philosophy is a chaotic environment breeds like you said, resiliency and um, innovation. And that's when they promote an environment that fights complacency in that case. <clears throat> like sure. you said, I think complacency um, on an engineering team is a huge topic that we can definitely tackle in the future. I think it's a r- great subject that I talk to 
I've talked to managers about it. I haven't talked to really engineers, like, you know, peers um, about it too much, but I've seen it discussed at the management level of things many times. And sometimes it comes out in just a frustrated comment about nobody cares this week, the energy's low. And I'm not always certain if complacency is the cause for that. Sometimes it's like, well, last week was crazy town. This week is everyone's catching their breath. But it's easy right. for a manager to confuse those. So I think it's a pretty deep topic we can definitely hit in the near future. Yeah, let's let, let let's let's tease the listeners um, <laughs> to 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 say we'll we'll come back because another angle I want to put on this and and it could it could end up being just too huge to even do in one episode that there's been I won't call it a movement but I'll call it a movement just for ease of use there's been a a, a mini movement lately towards uh, among the people that 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 I I read and I follow towards um not have not contributing to open source in your spare time not working on your job in your spare time to have different interests in your spare time to get completely away from your job in your spare time the and that the idea is valid and there are there's validity to the point but there's a balance there as well and and when we talk about this uh uh, in the future i want to tie that into it as well because to me, that's a that's a huge part of it as well. Makes sense. So, <clears throat> well, we've hit the thirty All minute right. mark. So, um, I think we've got yep. some great things to talk about <laughs> coming up next week too. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. What's your next week looking like? Uh, next week, so so haven't mentioned this on the uh, on on here yet, but I had I had shoulder surgery a, a, a few weeks ago. Yeah. So next week, I get to get out of the sling. So that's what I'm looking forward to. Yes. <laughs> I had a new week. Uh, that that I, sling is a pain to, to, it's a pain to, uh, to, to sleep in. I'm sorry. What were well, you saying? I asked you about this yesterday um, through Slack because we had an Uber driver that, you know, you know, you get in a car with a ride share and sometimes the stories are go all over the place. But this particular driver had rotator cuff surgery and he talked to us about all he went through. And I was like, oh, man, Don had this surgery two weeks ago. That sounds worse than he even he said. I need to ask him about this. So I definitely yeah, I, I sympathize tremendously and look forward to you getting rid of that sling as well. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, they they did say they did say the physical therapist said that the rotator cuff would be would be a, a more painful one in some ways, but this one's more difficult in other ways. So they're, they're, they're two different ones. Yeah. So anyway, enough, <laughs> uh, enough medical 101 <laughs> on, on, on a CTO thing. So, um, so what's coming up in your week? I'm going to the gym so that I don't have to have rotator cuff surgery in the future. That's <laughs> next week, every day, uh, next week. Do it, do it properly. Then. Exactly. <laughs> um, I am really right now I'm trying my best to reduce meetings and keep coding um, and working with the folks on my team that are doing coding in the sense that I should, I do need to be doing networking and marketing, but right now I'm in that mode of, I'm just getting things done really well. And I'm kind of like, I'm going to stay as much as I can in the office, reduce as many meetings as possible and, you know, keep work cranking out the work 
um, for people that right now that I need to get done instead of doing that usual, oh, I've been, you know, the holidays kind of keep you in. I want to go out and spread out and network as much as I use. Like every January seems to be that whole new resolution of networking. And maybe it's due to the cold too. I just want to stay inside. <laughs> but I'm, sure. I'm really focused on um, kind of cranking out work without a ton of discussion, if not necessary, and hoping that, and then pushing that kind of network burst that I typically do every beginning of every year to later. And so, right. So next week, I think I'm just going to be, uh, managing and developing and minimizing meetings. That's the goal. That, that is a worthy goal. So let's, let's see how, how, it, uh, how well you achieve it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. We will talk next week. Very good. Thank you. See you. Later. Thanks for listening to the CTO Think Podcast. If you liked what you heard, please share a link to the podcast with your friends. Show music is, by, is Dumpster Dive by Mark Wallet, licensed by premiumbeat.com. Show notes and previous episodes can be found on our website at ctothink.com. For questions, comments, or things you'd like to hear on future shows, please email us at advice at ctothink.com. For notifications of future episodes, please sign up to the CTO Think newsletter also on our website. We'll keep talking next week. We'll be right back.